0: Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you for being here. Um, tonight, Trey Lewis is going to speak to us. Fair and I got to meet Trey mm, three years ago, thereabouts, right when he and his partner, Rush Jolly, were starting a new treatment program in Tequila. Uh He is the founder and CEO of Good Landing Recovery. Uh, Trey used to be in the Air Force. He attended Mercy University. He was going to law school when the Lord called him out of law school into the ministry of recovery. He knows firsthand what it is to be uh, controlled by drugs and alcohol. He's, he was delivered from that in 2005 uh, through the transforming power and the love of Christ. And because of that, Trey left law school and started this program. You're going to hear a little bit about Good Landing Recovery. He's traveled all over the country, not only preaching the gospel, but also leading outreach, outreach initiatives and inspiring thousands of people through strategic leadership conferences He's married to his wife, Holly. They have five children and another one on the way. They live in Atlanta. So, Trey, I'm going to pray over you, then I'm going to welcome you to the podium. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Trey, God, and uh, the fact that you delivered him years ago, Lord, and how now he's giving back and he has such a heart and love for you. Father, we just pray for him tonight as he comes to speak that you will speak through him mighty words of hope and encouragement. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.
1: John, thank you. Honor to to be here tonight. It really is, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and just pray again, and then we'll we'll jump in. Father, we love you. God, I just thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for your goodness and for your mercy, God. I thank you for your presence. I just ask tonight that you would um, that you would speak through me that you would prepare the hearts of, of every person in here to be able to receive what it is that you have for them. God, I ask that you would, for those that are hurting tonight, that are confused, um, I pray that you would bring clarity, that you would bring strength. Um, I pray that you would open up more opportunities to for ministry and to be able to reach the lost and the broken. Um, and, and God, I just ask that you would deposit everything into us tonight that we need to be overcomers and to be able to walk this thing out and to be faithful and to love you and to to be able to walk into everything that you have for us, that we wouldn't miss anything. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as John said, I, I'm the founder and CEO of Good Landing Recovery. and. Um, You know, what what brought me to to starting this place, uh, my journey started in North Mississippi. I have uh, Chris and Cliff Heaton with me tonight, dear friends. And uh, they are also from that region of the United States. And um, I grew up there in a real small town called Clarksdale. And it's, um, um, you know, I came up, went to a a good school. you know, really had every opportunity for success, and um, uh, whenever I turned 18 was really the time where I should have, you know, kind of been launching in, going off to to college and and doing whatever I was supposed to do, that my dad had helped lay the foundation for that. Instead, um, I found myself addicted to methamphetamines, and uh, from there, I would become an IV methamphetamine drug addict. I went through 10 treatment centers by the time that I was 25 years old. I had four DUIs, um, you know, he mentioned the Air Force and the Air Force wasn't some big noble entry into the United States military. It was me telling a series of lies to the recruiter um, and not talking about my drug pass at all and uh, being able to go in under a fraudulent enlistment. And then uh, in in 2005 um, God would encounter me on the West Coast and, um, you know, at that point um, that that's when everything changed for me, and I really didn't 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 think about telling this story tonight. But I remember sitting down with a chaplain, and I was telling this chaplain, I said, "Hey, I want you to know, I'm I'm a, this is I'm I'm under a you know I lied to get in here." And so I think the, fra- the, the, uh, the, the, the chaplain was going to say something to the effect of, you know, don't worry about it, covered under the blood, you know, like we don't need to talk about those things anymore. And I remember this guy looking at me, he goes, this is where the rubber meets the road. He goes, you need to go talk to your first sergeant and confess it. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, Do you like I, I can go to jail. Like, what, are you, what are you thinking? And, and I remember walking in, but really, you know, kind of coming to this place of saying, hey, if this thing is going to be real, you know, then then, then I need to live it out. And I went in and I sat down with what we called the shirt or the, the first sergeant. And I said, I just want you to know that I am here on a, you know, I, I, I have, you know, lied to get in and whatever. I got about like halfway into the word lie. And he was like, don't say another word. <laughs> and he took me over to the Area Defense Council, which was the defense side of, of legal for the Air Force. And I went in and I was able to tell them all of the lies that I had told to the recruiter. And they wrote that down and said, as long as you don't have any more issues, he goes, the Air Force will never hear about that. But uh, anyway, those were interesting days as I was learning about faith and what it meant to to live this thing out. I mean, I I remember reading a book on Christian dating and I thought you got to be kidding me. I was like, I said, this, this is this is. I was like, nobody lives like this in this day and time. And um, and I remember I got, I got involved with a community of young professionals and, and college age people, and and and, I, and a good friend of mine. And I, I watched him live out his his engagement all the way to the altar in purity. And I was like, oh my! I was like, this is real. I was like, people really live this stuff out. And um, and just what a profound impact that it had on me in community and, and really this this group because everything that I knew about Christians especially coming out of the drug scene I mean were I mean they are weird they are they are not relevant they, you know I mean I was like I you know drank beer did drugs and 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 played sports I mean that that's what I did played tennis on a scholarship and. And, 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 and when I watched these people who were serious about their faith and, and they weren't they, you know they weren't weird I mean they they love God for real and they walk this thing out and you it was just it was really just some remarkable days and I'd gotten to DUI while like r- right when I first got into the Air Force and so they they are serious about you know, drinking. I mean, they're serious about speeding. I mean, you go a mile an hour over the speed limit, you're going to get a ticket. That's why bases are so safe, because they, they don't play. And, 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 and I remember I could not drive. Um, I think they put me on a one-year suspension that I couldn't drive on base, and so my, my dorm was about a mile and a half from the front gate. And so, as I would, you know, talk these people and to come to pick me up for these, this is on the central coast of California in Santa Barbara, if you know, know the area, northern Santa Barbara County, and they would drive to the Air Force Base and pick me up for these Bible studies, and they would bring me back and they would drop me off, and I remember learning about David, you know, I remember learning about spiritual warfare, you know, and that, that whole stuff, and I would have this mile and a half walk back to my dorms and, you know, really in the dark for the majority of that walk and processing these things and just thinking, you know, God, if one of these mountain lines out here, I'm like, would the Spirit of the Lord come on me and I'd be able to, to take out the, you know, I mean, you're just, I mean, all all the stuff that, you know, that was just so, it was just really, really just su- such an incredible time is, is, and, and that is where, you know, I would get strong in my faith and where I would go to the 30th Space Communications Squadron and I knew that this incredible God that, um, you know, I I was raised in a church. I was raised in a a church that preached the gospel and did altar calls every Sunday and for whatever reason, you know, probably similar to this church here, and for whatever reason, it, it just never registered with me you know, just never, my mind were never on those things and I, I don't think it was the church's fault or the pastor's fault or whatever. I mean, I, I really don't, some of those spiritual dynamics I, I don't understand but I, I didn't have a grid for it but when I, when I got saved and I'm 2,000 miles away from, from mom and dad and you know, and, 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 and all of that stuff that, that where it was... I guess, you know, you grow, grow up in a small town, you get in trouble, you know that you know you're know you going to be able to get out of trouble. You know, there's not too many things that you could have really gotten in that much trouble for. And I think, you know, something, too, about that dynamic of me realizing that they weren't there to be able to, to bail me out, it helped frame up, you know, h- how I interpreted those events as well. But um, anyway, I would... Um, go into the space communications squadron, and I was so overwhelmed at this God that had saved me. And, and I didn't know anything about evangelism. I didn't know anything about apologetics. I didn't really know how to defend the faith. I just knew that I needed to get as many people as, as I could in my car and get them through the doors of Calvary Chapel, Santa Maria, where I was going to church out there. Because I knew God had changed my life. If He could change my life, He could change anybody's life, anywhere, anytime. And And I would have these talks with people. And I would be there in full battle dress uniform in my BDUs, and I would be there in my my workstation at this communication squadron, and I would just be reading everything I could about the Lord, tears streaming down my face. Had a little third day, if you guys know who, who that band is, had a third day CD. It's kind of a Christian contemporary rock band, and I would wear that thing out, and I would just get wrecked in a good way every morning before I would go into work, and and it was just, a, it was just such, such an amazing time of, of transformation. You know, and I talk about that now because, because community really is everything. And that, that really is what, where my life transformed was in relationship of seeing these things lived out. I also remember the command chief, Master Sergeant of the base, who would be the highest enlisted rank, and he saw me at some airman's event that night. And he said, Airman Lewis, he goes, I see leadership on your life. He goes, I want to mentor you. And I said, Chief, I said, I don't think you understand. I said, I'm the guy, I said, I'm the airman that just got the DUI. I'm the one that put the stain on the base. You know, I mean, these are, I don't know, I mean, again, I don't know if you can kind of get your mind around, like, you get a DUI on the Air Force Base, like, I mean, it is like committing a triple homicide. Like, it is, it is unbelievable, you know, how big of a deal that it is. And 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 I said, I don't think you understand. I said, I'm the guy that got the DUI. He goes, I don't care. He goes, I see leadership on you and I want to mentor you. And I remember walking into this guy's office, and in my mind, I mean his office seemed like it was as big as this room, and I just was just amazed that anybody of that caliber would even want to, you know, be associated with me out in public, much less have me come to their office and mentor me. And, and, and what that meant to me when I felt like I was the scum of the earth and somebody to see you and say, man, I recognize, I recognize leadership on your life and I'm going to invest in you even whenever nobody else would. Even though you can't see it and, and, and probably you can't even believe it, but I see it and I'm going to spend time. And that, that was another game-changing moment for me. Um, is, is I, I would leave there, the Air Force, and I went on staff at the church out there and and the ministry that I did were trailer parks and homeless shelters, and I wanted to be around people who were like me. I wanted to be around the broken. I wanted to be around those that, you know, that that just you know that 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 struggled with the same stuff stuff that I struggled with. And the only reason that I wasn't there, you know, is that is that my parents probably had a little bit more money than their parents did, and that was the only reason that I didn't end up in a situation like that. And we would go and do. Do events and we would hold meetings there. And I remember this homeless shelter meeting growing, and and you know power would be on the meeting and people would be getting saved. and And that was my just my heart was to go out and to to spend my time you know around the most broken and the most you know in the in the darkest places. Um, I would eventually leave there, and I went to work for a company called Start Church. Um, which did tax law and compliance primarily for 501c3s for churches and ministries and we did a lot of work with Southern Baptist Convention and you know many other organizations and uh you know and, and as i would be there and you know like john was talking about in first year of law school and 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 i was traveling and what was interesting about this conference is i was teaching visionaries and leaders of 501c3s and we would teach them how to start businesses and we would teach them you know how to you know do, do other things to be able to to, 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 to raise money for the, for their church and how to do asset protection and but the whole thing though it was it was compliance and doesn't seem like the most the most exciting material i mean it was st- still, you know, visionaries of saying like, hey, not only are you a visionary, not only are you somebody that is going to change the world, but you're, you're leading a full-blown corporation and you're also a CEO whether you want to recognize yourself as one or not. And, 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 I would, and I would spend time and that is really where, where God was preparing me for what I would one day do. And I, and I got a call in March of, of 2017 and I'll never forget it, this guy named Bobby Humphrey called me and he said, Trey, what are you doing with your life? And, I mean, you have to understand. I mean, they're, they're traveling. Me, you know, I'm, I'm flying around the nation and going to these conferences, and, and and I am making more money than I thought that I would ever make in my entire life. I am mean, a former meth addict, and I'm flying around the nation, you know, first class. I mean, I just, could, I just look at my life and just think, man, if they only knew where I came from, they wouldn't probably pay a nickel to come hear me talk. But, anyway, I was there, and and Bobby called me, and he said, Tracy he said, what are you doing with your life? And I heard it in a very like, degrading type way. And I I was was like, I say, what am I doing with my life? I said, I'm I'm killing it. Thank you very much. Like, what do you mean what am I doing with my life? And he said, I believe God has so much more for you. And he goes, and I don't know what that is. He goes, but whatever it is, he goes, I want to get behind it. You know, I remember talking to my wife about it and just thinking, you know, know, where where do you get opportunities where somebody calls you and and they're saying, like, "I I want to you know, to invest in you starting, you know, some kind of company or some ministry or something like that, and um, and and he had had a dream, or God had really spoke to him years before that he would be used as a catalyst to start for-profit entities that would fund the kingdom, and to be able to fund ministry missions, and I, uh, you know, we, we, we were, you know, and I, I didn't even understand anything about you know, for-profit treatment or, or anything like that. And through a series of, of divine appointments and as I was traveling, you know, I finally decided, you know, hey, we, you know, this is what I, when I realized, like, what would I do on a Saturday morning if I didn't have an obligation with my family is I'm going to go to the Potter's House, I'm going to go into inner city Atlanta, I'm going to go to some trailer park, and that's where I'm going to spend my time. And whenever I understood that we were going to be able to do frontline ministry, and that we were also going to be able to to fund the kingdom, and then that's where where we landed. And so when I went in, and and I had this incredible exit strategy because we didn't have, I mean, this this wasn't like serious startup capital, and 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 so. <laughs> I remember I went in and, and I was the, the conference speaker for this company Start Church and I am thinking there is no way. so I have this incredible exit strategy I'm going to come in I've got them over the barrel so to speak you know they're I'm, they're going to keep me on for another year I'm not going to have to be, have to take a salary from this brand new company it's going to be perfect it's going to be easy and so um I'm, I'm all so I'm so I'm in that place where I'm thinking okay I've got this incredible you know transition. And then I'm also wavering at this at this moment, you know. And this is where you know, as I talk with Bobby, you know, he really kind of speaks, you know, of of of, of how much I was wavering because you know, there's this sense of where every entrepreneur every person that's getting ready to start a, you know, every visionary, somebody's getting ready to start a ministry or whatever it might be, that you get to the place of saying, I would rather try and fail than to stay on the sidelines and then wake up one day and say, what if, right? I mean, every one of them that you've ever read, I mean, there's probably some in this room, but the, the, the books that you've read about entrepreneurs, that's typically where they finally land of saying, I'd rather try and fail than to stay on the sideline and play it safe and wake up one day and say what if, right? And so, you know, during that time, um, and I really didn't even talk to you all if it's okay to, to share this, but it's a, it's a huge part of Good Landing. Um, Chris and Cliff's son, Little Cliff, um, passed away from a, a, a drug overdose back in Mississippi. Um, and I watched him grow up. They, they lived, um, my grandmother lived not far from them down the street, and I watched their son grow up. And, and I'll never forget that um, their daughter posted a picture of their son, one of his baby pictures, and, and it, resembled, it resembled my son. And, and I, But I just remember looking at this picture, and I am thinking, how in the world, how in the world is, it, is, is, is addiction that this kid could grow up Able to do anything that he wanted to do, anything that he could have dreamed of that he could have been able to have done, that addiction is so powerful that it would take his life. And I remember at that point, and I would be on flights and coming back and just weeping and weeping over their son's life. And and and, and really at that time is where I said, We're no longer going to play it safe anymore. And um and I went in to my company with this plan you know, of how this thing was going to work and, and really as, as God would have it on, on many faith journeys, I, I went in and I gave them my plan and what I thought was going to happen, pretty much the opposite happened. My income got cut in half and that my exit strategy got accelerated like that and I, I came home that night after what I thought was going to be the perfect fail-proof plan had kind of blown up in my face and I am looking at my wife and I'm looking at my children and I am thinking, what in the world have I done? like what like what was i thinking you know like why 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 did i you know i knew i wasn't going to end up homeless or anything like that but but i couldn't just walk across the street and do and, and and you know and be able to walk back in into that life you know and we start off you know and you you you're, you're so excited we started off november 22nd of 2017 we got our first client and um, you know by all, by march you know there's there's pretty much no money left in the account and, I, and I'm really thinking, you know, what, what, I mean, am I about to go sell cars? Like, what, what in the world are we, we, you know, like, what, what's, what's getting ready to happen? Um, and, and about that time, that, that is whenever we got licensed and the Lord turned it around. And, you know, and I'm not going to take you through all the details. But now today, I, I looked at our at, at our census, and we're somewhere between 130 and 140 clients. We're the largest PHP IOP program in the state of Georgia, probably in the nation. I just haven't taken the time to do the research. Um, we've got you know somewhere close to 50 staff. You know, we have an addictionologist that was trained at Harvard, played baseball for the Braves. Three nurse practitioners. I think we got 11 or 12 master's level therapists, and all this other support staff that's on there. And I look at this thing. You know, and, and what was also really interesting about that is is that, you know, people told me, they said, hey, a Christian program's not going to work. They said, addicts don't want to hear about Jesus that early on. Don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't don't try to do do all that, stay away from that. And I remember we kind of wavered in that in the beginning and I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe we shouldn't. And I, and, I, and I remember being like, no, like, this is who I am. It is the power of Jesus that transformed my life and we're going to be unapologetically Christian and I am preaching Jesus. Like, that's what transforms lives. And we went down on that and God breathed on it and here we are. And, and it has been a remarkable journey, you know, but, you know, you start a treatment center and you know, I, I I think about it a lot, like like having a child. You know, it, it's you know you you, know, you ever talk to the parent that, that that hasn't had any children there, and and you got the, you know the kids crying in the line, the candy line at the store, and they're like, man, my kids are never going to do that. <laughs> you know, and then you're just like, yeah, okay, okay, we'll see. And 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 the same thing, you know, you 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 know, vi- visionaries in general were saying, hey, we want to change the world. You know, and I want to see every single person that crosses the threshold of good landing to get saved and have their life transformed. And that's what I'm going to contend for. And I'm never going to get to the place where I'm saying, hey, it's acceptable if we lose one. It's acceptable if it... it, You know, we are going to continue until we see these numbers flipped. You know, you think right now, as you hear the sound of my voice, there's over 20 million drug addicts on planet Earth. There's typically an 80 percent failure rate. Those Those are awful, awful numbers. You know, it, 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 it is, um, you know, and, 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 I, and, I, and I look at that and, and at the end of the day, you know, I, I also understand that the, the common denominator to why I believe those failure rates are where they are is because of pride. Because there is a process to walk through this thing and most people don't want to walk through it. That is why I went through 10 treatment centers by the time I was 25 when in reality I could have got it at my first Treatment center that it was still laid out plainly for what I needed to walk into, but they wanted. I was talking with John and Fair, and to be able to share part of my story, how Good Landing came about. We're located in Gwinnett County. We're a PHP. If you got, you guys understand the continuum of care. So they say I'll, I'll kind of just break it down for you real quick. So, in the continuum of care, there's something called detox. Okay, that is the most acute level of care. Typically, going to be five. To nine days is where that's going to be. And then somebody will then finish detox. And it doesn't have to be linear like this, but then they would typically go into a residential program. It's going to be anywhere from seven to 28 days of residential. So you're kind of going to think, you know, static location, stationary location, you know, typically not always out in the middle of nowhere, but those are normally how those are. And then next is going to be a very intense level of outpatient care, which PHP is partial hospitalization, okay? And then that's the level of care that we are. It's going to be about 26 hours of group a week. They're going to have at least a one session with a nurse practitioner each week. They're also going to have a one-hour, one-on-one therapy session. So it sounds really similar to, to residential, except our housing is what you hear this term now called sober living. What that would have been called a few years ago is called a halfway house, okay? So it's transitional living. We are a highly structured sober living. And so we don't let the men's and the women's program overlap. You know, you're not going to find them in groups together. You certainly aren't going to find them interacting, you know, or doing anything like that, just because I, I don't know of a greater disaster in early recovery than to try to mix programs like that. But um, that's just the the philosophy that, you know, that we take at, at Good Landing. And so then you have partial hospitalization Then you drop down to something what is called IOP you're going to hear that term a whole lot that is intensive outpatient and then from there you would transition to outpatient or or, and that's normally you know one group one three-hour group and a one-on-one with a therapist so anyway I just felt like it'd be interesting as you as you understand the continuum of care but that that's the level that that we are you know and sometimes people will come to us They'll go to detox. They don't need detox. They may just go straight into that level of care. Um, we also have Zoom. You know, and, and the reality is, is, and, and is, is that a lot of people aren't ready to come in. You know, and we've got to be willing to meet people where they're at. Yes, I understand. The best case, I would love to have every single person to go out in the wilderness for an entire year. But in reality, it's just, you know, you're just, you're just, you just, it's just not, you know, how, how all of that can work. And so we like to meet people where they're at and do our very best to make sure that we have a lot of impact. So um, we, uh, we also have a certified personal trainer that runs our fitness program. Fitness was a huge part of my recovery. And anyway, and we, we just kind of got a really unique approach. We, we do this thing called the uh, Recovery Church on Friday nights, which is a full service. Um, we, have, we have worship, we typically share testimonies. Um, you know very lively you know energetic type of type of atmosphere and then we try to create really good community and that's why I hit on in the front end of this what that meant for community for me and then why we want to have such a big emphasis on it and keeping healthy community so that whenever somebody comes in, right, I mean, we can, you know, put all the best policies that we want to put in, we can have the best speakers, but at the end of the day, if we don't have good good community and try to really control and make sure that there's healthy conversation, you know, there's good things that are going on afterwards, that's where all this stuff is going to be lived out, you know, and so that is... You know I think one of, one of the reasons that you know that we don't deal with AMA like so many against medical advice and people blowing out all the time and you know and and, and not staying in there is because we do have such such an emphasis on on community but um, anyway, that's my intro.) <laughs> <laughs> You know, and and what I want to talk to you guys about tonight, if you you ever come to Good Landing or you go on our website, our, our tagline is, is your comeback story starts here. Everybody loves a good comeback story. Um, we're drawn to, you know, all the Rocky, all all 18 Rockies or however many are out there. And they're the same storyline. But you can't help but not watch it. I mean, you're going to watch Stallone. He's going to come out and he's going to get either beat or he's going to get his brains beat out for the first 10 rounds. You know that at some point he's going to look out there. He's going to see Adrian. He's going to shift gears. And he's going to come back and he's going to win. Like, you know what's going to happen. And it doesn't matter. Like, we can't help but, not be, but, but to be drawn to... Comeback stories. And, and we love it. You know, there, there's just something miraculous about, you know, comeback stories. And, and those of us who have walked out addiction and those of you that are that are parents and, you know, that are fighting that thing and, and wanting to see a comeback story, wanting to see, you know, beauty come from ashes and to, to, to be able to, to for, for God to, to, to just breathe on the situation and to watch somebody reemerge from the wreckage of, of, of active addiction, and 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 we know that God loves to author those stories and we like to create the atmosphere where He can do that. Um, I'm going to hit just on a few points of of, of, of David's life, and you know what, what's what's interesting to me is even a lot of pastors you know that I've talked to after I've taught them this, this is one of the core teachings at Good Landing Recovery is that that they typically don't don't they, they kind of skip over this season of David's life because whenever I said right now I said you know talk to me about King David's greatest failure and I think most every one of you would go premeditated first degree murder you know and the and, and the adultery thing with Bathsheba like that's. I mean, I, it doesn't get any crazier than that. I mean, and, and it does it. You know what I'm saying? I'm certainly not going to minimize, you know what I'm saying, what 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 David did. I mean, it was that that was a bad, bad season. But I think what you'll find interesting is that in 1 Samuel 27, that David has been anointed king. Saul is chasing him down. And that David finally gets so weary that fear and depression drive him into a place that otherwise he would not have gone. So you look in 27 and it says, And David said in his heart... Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines and Saul would despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel so I shall escape out of his hand. Then David arose and went over with 600 men who were with Achish the son of Maok, king of Gath. Anybody familiar with this? This passage really spend any time here? Um, I, I think... You're getting ready to look at David's darkest season of his life. So David is being hunted down by Saul. David, you know, and I I don't want to just try try to really, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know what I would do if the president right now just... Pretty much exhausted you know all of the the military force and said, go and hunt trey down I'd probably be willing to partner with Isis or, or anybody at that point if I was running for my life and so you know you give David some credit here that he's being hunted down but I want you to understand just ten chapters before David the king of Gad this is where Goliath came from. Okay, So ten chapters before, David is standing out there doing the Babe Ruth thing, right? Of saying, this day, I'm taking your head. I'm going to feed them to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And and he goes out and he delivers on it and he's full of faith right now. Now the same region where Goliath came from, David is now going back to partner with them. Just to try to give you a modern day 2021 translation. I mean, that's like one of y'all right now defecting and going over to to Iraq right now and joining ISIS or going over to Afghanistan and joining Al-Qaeda. I mean, it, it is it, that, that that's that's the equivalent. He is going to the mortal enemies of Israel, the Philistines, and he is looking and he's seeking refuge there. And for the next 16 months that he would live as a mercenary and all he did all day, every day was kill men, women, and children. It is a dark, dark time. No Psalms were written during this time. You're not going to find any psalms that were produced during this time. No songs. The worship leader, the warrior worshiping king, is producing no music in his life during this time. And when David is there, he is positioned with this king of Gath, and they finally decide they are getting ready to go to war against Israel. And David says in 28, he says, now you're getting ready to see what your servant can do. David has so abandoned the call of God on his life, so abandoned that, that, that he is so disillusioned that he is willing to go and fight against his own countrymen. Again, I don't know if we can understand this. Okay, This is... You know, let's just say that somebody in here is from Lawrenceville and now you live over here in the Sandy Springs area or whatever and Sandy Springs decides to go and attack Lawrenceville, okay? And this is your, this is your family that's all living in Lawrenceville and then here you come on the back of the Humvee wielding the 50 cal. I mean, this is like, oh my gosh, that's Jimmy. <laughs> that's Jimmy that used to play baseball with my... you know, And he's coming over here to destroy his friends and family. David is so disillusioned that he is willing to go and fight and lay the sword to his own countrymen. That's where David is at. Something else that's really interesting here is that, is that Achish says to David, Surely... He says, "Acha said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. <laughs> now being second in command to a king might sound like a pretty good job. What was David called to be? Who was David called to be? He was called to be a king. Now if this isn't the picture perfect illustration of what happens when you align yourself with people who aren't full of faith. This is what happens. And what is happening right here is is that if David, if God doesn't break in and deliver David, David, all he's going to be is somebody else's bodyguard when in reality, David was called to be a king. Tell me who your friends are. I will tell you who you are. Tell me who your friends are. I'll tell you who your future is, tell you what your future is. Some of you are saying, oh, that's cute. I really wish that my 15-year-old was here to hear that. No, (laughs) no, I'm here to talk to everybody in this room. Tell me who your friends are, and I will tell you who you are. No matter who you are, where you're at in life, or anything, and what David is doing right here, David is getting ready to become somebody else's bodyguard when in reality God's plan for his life was to be a king. How many of us right now, when I look back over at my life, and I say, why is there a disconnect when I'm over here, I know that I'm full of potential, but I always find myself in yet another drug rehab? Why is it that I find myself in all these situations that are not what God's plan is for my life? Tell me who your friends are. I will tell you who you are. And whenever I want to make changes in my life, that I want to position myself and to be and to run with different people. You know, they say that you typically make within a couple of thousand dollars of your, of your three closest friends. I mean, obviously some anomalies. I mean, that's not... That's a, that's a mindset. That is a, a mindset. That is how you, somebody thinks, right? You see certain areas and things like that. that doesn't mean that there's not plenty of potential there, the people that couldn't break out of those systems. But what it is, it is a mindset. And then when we get around people, oftentimes because it's comfortable and we don't want to be challenged and we don't want to get around the people that are going to hold us accountable. I don't want to be around the person that is going to to believe in faith and that's going to pray for the miraculous. I don't want to be around the person that's going to challenge me because I'm comfortable over here. When in reality, we know that that many of us are saying, man, I know that I am not living the life that God has for me because I am never getting outside outside of my comfort zone. And that's a picture right there of what... David's life would have been like, you know? And, and that's what I'm always trying to talk to our clients about is saying, look, if you want to make it in this thing, you know, the clinical term that they're going to use is saying, you need to really be assertive. You know how I say it? you got to be willing to hurt somebody else's feelings. Saying, God wants me up here. This is God, like God's plan for my life. And there's got to be a level of ruthlessness. There's got to be a level of saying, man, I will cut you off so fast, your head will spin because I want God's best for my life. That's what I want. I want to operate there because I promise you, if I would have been hanging out with my friends from 20 years ago, good landing would just, it probably wouldn't even be a thought, much less become a reality. I've got to surround myself with people who believe God, that men and women of faith that are going to be able to speak life. You know, they're not going to be somebody that's just always making fun of everything, never holds anything sacred, everything's just a joke. You know how it is when you get around people like that? I mean, they just end up, being, they end up being a thief of everything that God wants to do in our lives. So David says that. He goes out and pass and review. I don't know if you've ever seen pass and review. It's, it's a remarkable thing. But all these military troops will parade before high-ranking military officers. Um, if, you, if you've never seen that, it's probably worth youtubing it but it, 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 David is there and so if you can picture all these Philistines and then there's this group of, of, of Jews, these Hebrews that are walking out and again, I just kind of like to give the comparison. I mean it would literally be watching the Marines and the Air Force and the Navy and the, um, and the army and then all of a sudden looking over there and seeing a group of you know of, of, of Taliban. <laughs> What are they doing here? <laughs> Why are these people out here? And they're like, no, you can trust them. And you're thinking, hey, I, you might trust them. I am not going to trust them. I know. I don't know, you know, that, that would, what great honor would it be for them to turn on us in battle? There's no way I'm going to go to battle or into battle with these guys right here. And that's what all the king, the Philistine king said. They said, look, we've heard about this guy. We actually, we know about the songs. Saul killed us thousands. David kills us ten thousands. We are not going to war with that, or going to war with that joker right there because I know he is going to turn on us on the battlefield and they reject him. If you go down into chapter 29 into about verse 8, you are going to watch David throw a little fit because they will not let him go to war against his own people. So that I just want you to, and, and I give you this because if, if you've got children or you've got people in your life that have gotten so far away from the Lord, I want you to know they are in good company and there is a comeback story that can happen. And David is so frustrated right there whenever they don't let him go to war. But what I want you to understand is what oftentimes feels like rejection in our lives is God's deliverance for us unto walking into His plan. What feels so painful, you know, I see it all the time, and, you know, it's some toxic relationship. You know, I've got some guy that's dating some girl and knowing good and well that he does not need to be dating her, that is going to be the end of him if he does not get out of that relationship and somehow to go south, and I'm sure that he's over there, God, please, please bring her back, I love her, I need her. I'm like, thank God, like he is getting delivered right now. God is doing for him what he could not do for himself. And it stings and it's painful and it doesn't mean that it's going to be fun. But that's actually what's happening right here. God is making sure that David doesn't go back and completely abort the call of God on his life. And then David leaves there and he walks back and he goes back to Ziklag thinking he's going to find comfort with this family there. As he draws closer to Ziklag, he sees nothing but a cloud of smoke. The Amalekites have come through, have destroyed everything, have taken their wives and their children captive. I want you to think about this second for a leader. This is somebody that 600 men and their families that have left Israel, that are running with David. All they've done in a foreign land is gone and killed men, women, children all day long. They've all kind of bought into this plan. Now they're jobless. They've lost everything. They've been rejected and they go back to their family to find everything in ruins. And it says in chapter 30 that they were talking about stoning David. That's a bad place. I'm sure it's a lot of leaders in this room right now. I know what it'd be like you walking into your office one day and your team is talking about killing you. <laughs> That's hard. That is not a good place as a, as a leader. And, and David is there. And we watch that David, his, his life is messed up. And what I believe are some very critical components to a comeback story. We look at David, and the first thing that it said that David did is that he strengthened himself in the Lord. What does it mean to strengthen ourselves in the Lord? When confusion comes, when the adversity that we have all faced in life, when... When, when, when all of these things come that we don't want to deal with. I've dealt with things recently that I thought that I would never have to deal with. And you're, and you're just sitting there and you're just like, gosh, man, like, this is, this is not what I signed up for. This is not, I mean, we pray all the time. And, like, and, and then now, then now there's this, this, this event that, that, that has happened that I don't want to deal with, but here it is in my lap. Here is the situation that, that I don't understand. I have done everything in my power to be able to raise my child. I've done everything in my power to be able to do these things right. I read the stinking books. I did it. I applied. And I don't understand why. Like, why, why is this happening? And David strengthened himself in the Lord. What, what does that look like? What, what does that look like play, play, played out in your life? I'll tell you what it looks like for me. It looks like for me in my kitchen, in my home in Beaufort of me preaching to myself just like I'm preaching to you right now reminding myself, man, that God really does have a plan, that He does love me, that I am a new creation, that He does work all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. And though I don't like what I see with my eyes right now, that I know that there is a God that is behind the scenes that is working all things together for good, and I'm going to apply those truths because I understand that there, there, there there are multiple level of truths, but then there are supreme truths. There is the fact that Trey Lewis was a methamphetamine drug addict and one of the worst human beings to ever set foot out of Clarksdale, Mississippi. But there is a greater word that is spoken over my life, that I am a new creation, that I am blood-bought by the blood of Jesus, and that I am a new person. The same thing as it is spoken over your life. It's Psalm 91. That though all this stuff may be out in front of me, that it will not come near me. That with long life, God is going to satisfy us. That He is going to honor us. That He is going to be with us in the fire. That we are going to be blessed going in and going out in the city, out in the country, in Atlanta, back in Clarkston, Mississippi. It doesn't matter. We'll be blessed. And God is working in our lives. And I want to be able to take those truths and not just have them out there as sentiment, but to be able to apply them to our, apply them to our lives. That's what it means to encourage yourself in the Lord. That does not mean, you know, getting on YouTube and watching the pump-up video. (laughs) That's not what he's talking about. He is talking about understanding spiritual truths and to be able to apply them to our lives. I was speaking at a treatment center one time back back in Mississippi, and at the end I did some Q&A. And I'll never forget this girl that raised her hand and she said, every night I'm tormented. Every night whenever I try to play, my mind's just going a million different places and you know, I looked at it and I said, I said How many scriptures do you know? And I wasn't trying to embarrass her. I wasn't trying. This wasn't like me, you know, tr- tr- you know, trying to make any kind of example. But my point was, is that you've been living this life of addiction for probably decades. You have had, Satan has had unhindered access to drop off whatever he wants to you in your mind. And now you are brand new out of this. Like, you've got to get in this book and learn truth. You've got to understand your identity. You've got to understand what God says about you and how He defines you because at the end of the day, it is belief that drives behavior. And if you believe that you're a second-class citizen and you believe you're a piece of trash, then therefore you are going to continue to act like it and you are going to continue to be tormented. Learn truth. Get truth on the inside of you. That's why we learn this word. That's whenever I was back at Vandenberg Air Force Base. I wasn't studying this word that one day I might be in front of a group of people to be able to preach. I learned this word because my life depended on it. It depended on it. That was my life source. I mean, that, that is where that I learned that I wasn't the degenerate loser that I always thought that I was. And then David, the man of war, that he said that he went and he grabbed the ephod and he went to prayer. I mean, I want you to think about this guy for a second. I mean, this guy is probably the greatest warrior at the time on planet Earth. I mean, he was a killer, and he was good at it. And here was this man who had just lost everything, and you would think that his knee-jerk reaction would have been like, let's go get them. But he was a man of discipline, he was a man of principle, and he went to prayer, and he sought the Lord, and he got an answer. That's what he did. That's how we communicate with God. That is where we're going to be able to get our answers. That is where we're going to be able to get the information and the wisdom. Not just knowledge, but I I need... You know, there's knowledge and there's smart people and there's great strategies and there's wonderful, great ideas. You know, we could sit down here right now and brainstorm and come up with five million great ideas of what we could all go do with our lives. And then somewhere in the middle of that is God's best... And that is birth from intimacy. That place of saying, what should I do with my life? Purpose is birth from intimacy. I want to go spend time with the Lord in prayer and to be able to hear from Him. And then that is where I want that to set the trajectory of my life. That's where we're going to have power. That's where we're going to be in step. And that's where we're not getting ahead of God, but we're going to find ourselves in step with God. And then David gets the word, go and you shall recover all. And it said, and so David Went. Faith without action is what? Dead. said even the demons believe and tremble. Even they have their theology, even they have their doctrine correct. But faith without action, faith without works is dead. Don't know us by how we act. If we really believe what we say we believe then we will be doers of the Word. You know, and what what does that look like? You know, that's between you and the Lord. You know, I'm obviously an evangelist. I'm obviously somebody that is called to go to the broken, and and I think that we all are at some level, but the reality is, is that every one of us in here have a plan for our lives. God has a mission for you. And 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 I can't presume and you know what normally happens is is that you know it's 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 either the pastor that has the microphone or it's always gonna be typically like the evangelist. And the evangelist is gonna come in there and beat you all up because you haven't led fourteen hundred people to the Lord this month or whatever it might be. But the reality is is that that that's not that's not real. That's not how you know that everybody what 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 our assignments are going to look like. But one thing that we wanna know is is that we've spent time with the Lord and that we've got something real in God. You know, we're not out doing dead religious works, but we have something that really matters. And that's what's going to matter whenever you stand in front of somebody. You know, when you're looking into the eyes of a drug addict and you're saying, Look, I know, I know you failed a million times, and I know that you want to give up, but God has a plan. You're not reading off some sales pitch or some canned thing that you went and learned. You know, not that, you know, trainings and all that kind of stuff like that, they really do have their place. But at the end of the day, people need to know that you have something real in God. And I don't care if you're stumbling over those words, but you have developed something in the secret place and you're saying, God really does have a plan for your life and He loves you and He's going to use you in a profound way. And I don't care how many times you've messed up, I don't care if you still have. You know, you would light up a 12-panel drug test right now and you have everything under the sun running through your veins. I promise you, you will be shocked at what God will do with your life. And That, that is the reality of the gospel. You know, and when, and when you see that happen in somebody's life, there is, I just, I don't think there's a greater, there's a greater distribution to be given out, paid out, than that to see the power of a transformed life. Um, so, making sure I'm hitting my targets. He said 8.30 before we get in trouble? Okay, all right. Um, I'll just pray for us real quick, and then we can go into to Q&A if y'all have anything. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for, for tonight. I thank you for this ministry. God, I thank you for the lives that it, that it impacts and how many people, that have been saved as a result of this group of people choosing to get together and to meet and to seek your face, God. People that, that I'll never know, that I'll never meet, God, but I know that there have been a multitude of families that have been impacted because of this group right here have gotten together. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you would use these words, that you would use this time of ministry, Lord, just to empower and to motivate God. And that you would just, that you would multiply their efforts, God. That you would just give them everything that they need, Lord. And that you would use us in a powerful way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Any any questions? Does your program work with um, adults? So we're, we're 17 and, a, and above is, is what we're, you know, focused on right now. We are licensed for for adolescents, for 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 outpatient. Um, we just haven't rolled it out yet, but it'll probably happen this year. There's just more and more young people. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 intense. I mean, you had you know over seventy thousand overdoses in in seventeen, and then you've got. You know, I think there it's going to be numbers of uh, over ninety thousand that happened in twenty twenty. I mean, with COVID, that's been a that's been a huge hit to re, to recovery. So, I mean, there's there's a need. But yeah, I don't know if you do you have a, a child that's young, and struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some good good programs out there. I know you you had mentioned one earlier. I think Karen. Yeah. yeah, that focus on that. So, you know, any way that we can help serve you to get get you the resource that you need you know interventions and you know any of those kind of questions too I mean that we can you know what 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 that needs to look like played out and what 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 does love look like you know whenever somebody is struggling on the front end you know not that you were even going there looking for that but that's that's such a such a big big topic you know because you just you know you just think I mean you got you know kids over at you know Georgia Georgia Tech and you're thinking you know they just they didn't they didn't make their grades first semester, so you know, clearly what they need is a new car in their own apartment and more money. <laughs> that is what they need. <laughs> but I mean I say that jokingly, but you know, it just if, if you don't know and and, and and again, you know, when when the crisis hits you find out and next thing you know, you're just trying to Google something real quick and you're just looking for some initials on the, you know, on the other side of somebody's name and a palm tree on the logo and and shipping them off and 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 obviously there's you know there's 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 a whole lot more to that process and you know and again I mean you're you're here but you know anything that we can do to to walk that out and to be able to do the the inset, the assessment to you know give the best chance possible to hit it on the front end and to do it right you know so that you know you don't you know somebody can walk into Long term recovery earlier. Yeah. I'd have a 43 year old in your basement. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir, I'll go here and then I'll come here.
0: Trey, walk us through. You said you went to 10 recovery programs. How long were you sober before you relapsed and what were your triggers? And tell us a little bit more about the epiphany that you had, you know, that really, where God really touched you. But these programs that you went to, did you gain something from them? Did
1: you absolutely
0: was it cumulative? And when did you realize that you
1: know what I have I have gotten tools now? That 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 really really good question, um, you know, because you hear that a lot, right? I mean, it's just the person that you know shows up and says, "Hey, you know, these other treatment centers didn't work," and but but in reality, I mean, I could have gotten clean in the first one. I mean, I was eighteen years old. You know, I walk in. I remember sitting down with some guy that had, you know, had three marriages, three failed marriages. I think he, you know, I mean, he was, I mean, he's, he's you know, throwing out numbers, you know, several hundred thousand dollars in, home. and I mean, I'm just like, I mean, I, I mean, I, I didn't have any. I'm just thinking, what, what am I doing here? I'm like, you're, you're a real drug addict, you know, like my hand just shakes too much to. Punch in my ATM number, you know, daddy's money, or you know, whatever. I mean, I just didn't have any kind of grid for that. But the truth is, is that it was laid out, and and I probably didn't stay in long enough. I mean, it was a forty-something day day program. Is an eighteen-year-old, and and in my mind, I like the. I mean, I obviously I didn't want my my life to be a complete mess. But when I envisioned recovery and a life without parting, a life without my friends, it was such a foreign concept. The best that I could do to think is I'm going back to the same places, I'm going to hang out with the same people, except I'm just going to be the cool so- sober guy that's going to drive." Well, that lasted about, you know, probably a day or two. And, and, and so, you know, it would take, you know, multiple failed attempts. But you know, what was going on in my life at that time is I was processing in a way that um, I, I knew that I wanted something different. But I, but I wasn't willing to make the changes, and I would normally go back to some sick relationship, you know, whether it would be a girl that I met in treatment, and that that is why I can't even tell you that that is. I mean, you might hear the one-off anomaly that you know where that worked out, but ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of the time, that is going to be an absolute train wreck. And so, when we do something called a biopsychosocial, you know, that in that process, that you'll have you know, treatment center you went to, length of stay, really the same question he just asked me, and then reason for relapse. And I can't tell you that typically that box right there is went back to old friends or went back to, you know, old girlfriend or old boyfriend. And then that is normally what's going to culminate in a relapse. And that's how it was with me, is that I would want it, but I would never, you know, m- make the real hard, necessary changes. Um I think it was after my fourth or fifth treatment center in Mississippi. There's some laws there where you can actually commit somebody. So, if you can just imagine, I really wish they had these laws here in Georgia, but I mean, it is as simple as you know, my dad would call Region One Mental Health or whatever that process was, and then you're having a sheriff that's coming and picking you up, like just arresting you, coming up in the house, whatever they want to, and then putting you in a holding cell. At, at the at the county jail until there was a bed open. Okay? So that happened to me and that really got my attention. I mean I was sitting there in an isolation cell and then after I finished that program I stayed clean for a year and a half and then started to make some compromises at the end of that. But I got real recovery during that time. Um, and then, you know, eventually, you know, I, I told y'all the story about the Air Force and where God encountered me out there and, you know, so I think I gave the, the, the answer to your question is, is that they were all good, and, and, it, all, and, it, and it was compounded. It was accumulative, as, as you were talking about, and I would get information along the way, and then I fi- finally, like when I had the, you know, the epiphany, when God really got a hold of my life, and I said, now it's time to apply these principles. You know, and, and, and at the end of the day, you know, there, there's a lot of different approaches to recovery, and you'll see them out there. You know, I mean, you've got everything, you know, from 12-step, non-12-step, smart. You know, the um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the one where you're present. What's what's it called? Um, anyway, but it, it's another approach. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's like working out. You know, I mean, whether you like CrossFit or you like powerlifting or you like ultra running or you like, you know, playing tennis or whatever, I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't get the principles of it's going to take hard work, you know, and you can't go, you know, eat donuts at midnight, then, you know, it's, just, it's the same, same thing with, with recovery, whatever, you know, however you want it fed to you, you can't compromise on those principles. And until somebody finally just says, says, I'm drawing the line in the sand, you know, addiction is taken this much and no more. You know that—that's whenever that's going to, you know, translate into into real, tra- real change. Okay, you had a question.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the? Uh, I know you said you have a, like a personal trainer on site, kind of that the therapy that goes along with that.
1: Yeah. So, so we have got. Um, this certified personal trainer, he lost a son to active addiction three years ago. Um, and, you know, when, when, when you come, you know, and I, and I could get you on the phone with one of our clinicians and they can give you all that language, but I'll just kind of talk to you from from, from my perspective, is that when, when you've known so much failure, you know, whenever it seems like, you know, when somebody comes in through the doors of a treatment center, it seems like everything that they've touched has just fallen apart. And what's so neat about about physical fitness is is that you know you come in, you know, on a on a Monday, you know, and all you can hold are the the ten pound dumbbells and you can get and you can get a momentum of success quickly. You know, it's also about trying something new, right? About coping skills. You know, the way that I've always dealt with anger is, or whenever somebody offends me, the way that I cope with that is, is I go over here and I blow up and I make a big scene and I use that as an excuse so that I can, so that I can you know, bail out right because if we sum up most drug addicts they're typically highly sensitive people who have horrible coping skills right and so what it is what's doing there and it's in people that have never been in the gym before i like that because you know what it is it's 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 getting them to be comfortable being uncomfortable you know because a weight room can be intimidating i mean if you've never done a bench press before or you've never you know done squats or something like that you know, I mean, it, it's a big deal. And so to be able to walk through that, I think it, it's going to strengthen those same muscles that it's going to strengthen it to say somebody of like, hey, here's how we do conflict resolution. We don't punch somebody in the mouth. <laughs> we go and have a civil conversation about it and walk it out. So anyway, that's, um, you know, that's that's why we, you know, I mean, it was a huge part of my life. And whenever I built the program, I didn't want to build just some kind of machine that, you know, would check all of the, you know, all the boxes that Department of Community Health or Car for somebody like that is looking for. But I wanted obviously to be able to do that so we're in compliance, but also do something that's gonna have real impact that I knew in my life it had real impact. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and if you want to drill there then we can, you know, talk talk more about it. And we have some options for people that you know that don't want it. And then obviously people are are so different in what their physical fitness goals are going to be. There's not like you know, we're running some kind of circuit training and, you know, no matter where where you're at, it's going to be different and tailored different for every person that comes through. Yep. When
0: people leave your program
1: or while they're there, do they, some of them do AA, NA? Yeah, we have that available for them. So we have Celebrate Recovery. We have the Gwinnett Rooms, you know, which are right down the street. Um, I teach the first three steps in the groups that I do, I do the, the, the Monday eleven o'clock group. So I'm gonna cover those three steps while I'm there. And um, you know, so it's it it's available. Some people really like that. Some people just, you know, they're 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 not big fans of it. I happen to believe that the twelve steps are the best systematic approach to be able to work recovery. I mean it's just really I mean it's all founded from the from the Oxford group, if you guys are familiar, so, you know, it's got you know, it's the Book of James really is, is is where that's coming from. You guys are all familiar with the steps, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, h- h- how they work and and stuff. So, yeah, getting a sponsor, getting a mentor, um, you know, just just all those those principles that that really you know have to be there to make somebody successful.
0: is, is Celebrate Recovery just a Christian 12 Steps?
1: Exactly right. Yeah, so I mean, where where you're going to, you know, it's it's a a power greater than yourselves, or God, as you understand Him. um, That that's where you know celebrate recovery is going to bring definition to that. And what we do a lot too, you know, because I, I get the concept of somebody that you know if they've been you know they've seen great tragedy, there's been great injustice in their life, you know, or somebody has spiritually abused them. You know, or tried to use religion to be able to control them or something like that, and they come in, and just the sound of, of Jesus, you know, just, just absolutely is the biggest turnoff. You know, there's kind of this introductory. But I think what happens in there, and especially in step two, which is this kind of transition step of I'm coming to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, that, that, that we still want to spend time of like, you know, God's not Mr. Potato Head. You know, and so I, I still don't like, you know, there, there's still, I, I just, sometimes I just have kind of an issue of where, you know, that, because if, you, if you, you, you give somebody that, that, that freedom, which is good, to let them be where they're at in their spiritual life, but at the same time you can't empower somebody to go make up some God that they like that signs off on all of their junk. Right. So, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, obviously, at Good Landing bringing Definition to, to who God is, and then you remind, you know, and, and, and really helping them unlearn that, you know, He's not this angry, cosmic white guy up in the sky that hates fun. <laughs> and we just spend a lot of time talking about who He really is and how much He loves people, and prodigal son, prodigal child, prodigal father, the loving father.
0: Yes, sir. Sorry, we hear this all the time. Um and you would be perfect to be on our panel, um, you've got five children, you've got another one coming, mm-hmm. you me. As you look back on your journey, what, if anything, could your parents have done differently to help you, I don't want to say hit bottom center, but be open more to God's hand on your life at an earlier age, if that makes sense to you, that question.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. I actually, I, I think a lot, About, you know, on, you know, things that could have been different. I mean, I I was in some really high impact youth groups and some leaders that took interest in me. And um, and while I would have seasons of where I really responded to that, um, you know, I think if 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 my dad was here that that he would talk about. I mean, he was always quick once I got addicted, once he would find out that Trey's relapsed or whatever, this thing safe. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay.
1: um, is that he would, you know, he would leverage those laws and get me put into treatment because I was somebody that, that wasn't going to, like, I, I was never going to show up, you know, one night and say, like, hey, I need some help. It just, just I just was not that, that type of addict. And so he would really have to, you know, get creative to, to, to get me into treatment. But I think early on in some of my formative years, um, that that he didn't hold the line real well on on discipline, you know that he would um, you know s- set a boundary and you know or, or 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 discipline me for something, but then he would come off of it and and wouldn't wouldn't follow through. Now, if he would have drawn a harder line, would that have you know would that have helped Pro- probably not. I mean I'm I mean I, obviously the genetic predisposition, you know is there. I believe that. You know, especially mine was was. I mean, you, you know, you mean like with addiction, right? I mean, there's there's either you got a you got a disordered brain chemistry, or it's going to be a learned behavior. You know, and I think with mine, you know, there was definitely a genetic predisposition there. The first time that alcohol touched my tongue, it was setting this monster in in into motion. It was a disease there, and and you know. Um, and to kind of, I think, to, to, to help you understand that, because w- once the addict gets addicted, that we process the substance like a primitive need. I mean, in the same way in here that you need food, air, and water, when the addict gets addicted, I mean, when you tell them, hey, I'm getting ready to take, take your air supply. So, you know, c- c- could it have been different? I mean, I think at the end of the day, if I would have had a radical encounter with Jesus early on... And, and He would have gotten a hold of my life and changed my nature and I would have, you know, really been discipled and walked walk that out. That could have been different. I went on this program called, you guys familiar with the Emmaus? The Emmaus Walk, I think it's done through the Methodist Church. I mean really, really powerful retreat. I went on one called Chrysalis, which I think is their, their high school version of it. And I remember having, having a, a really powerful encounter and I would get back and I would throw away all my CDs and I would, you know, make these commitments with my girl, you know, putting all the, the boundaries in place. And that would normally last about a week, you know. And then it just, that, that's, that's about, what, you know, how long I could white knuckle it and, and, and do the thing before I would be back in my old patterns. Now, if somebody would have been there to really disciple me and there would have been some strong community, then I think that the same thing that happened in California, you know, whenever I was, you know, 25, you know, could have happened, could have happened there. So I do think that it gets important that, you know, especially in our, in our youth ministries and, 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 you know, college and career, you know, that we do have, you know, really good things in place that when, whenever kids come off of those encounters, that, that we facilitate an environment where that can become, become who they are. But even then, I mean, you put, you know, I mean, everything in place. I mean, sometimes it, you know, it obviously just doesn't play out the way that we want. Does that answer that question?
0: Yeah, you know, what I'm struggling with is, you know, God had a plan for you, has a plan for you. But as you look back on your life, your addictive years and everything you've just shared with us, you had to go through that season in your life. God has orchestrated that for you to go through that to get you to the point where you were receptive when he touched you. Right. When you were in the Air Force, I guess, when it was. Right. And I don't know, I I don't know the answer to this question. I don't know that you could have taken away any of those steps because this was the journey God had designed for you.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean cuz it, it comes back, right? Cuz I know that it's not God's will for somebody to to, to be addicted to drugs. Like that's not God's plan. You're not going to make me believe that that God that that is that is his plan, you know, and then but, but the, the the tension between God's will living in a fallen world, the choices that we make actually matter, you know, and knowing that you know that that you know that that I had this condition that I didn't ask for anything like that and having to walk that out now you know and, and why healing didn't come sooner or it came when it did or you know for some when it, when it doesn't come I mean those are um, you know I, I don't know exactly you know how, how to navigate that but
0: because mm-hmm. we have we have people in this room that have been for years praying for the children yeah for deliverance and it just hasn't come and you know we get caught all the time and you know you you know i'm a lawyer and i tell people and i mean this when i say this just keep praying don't give up hope yeah just keep praying never give up hope but and i'm not necessarily talking about anybody in here tonight but we we've got some friends that after 40 years keep asking god when is this going to end yeah and then you you run out of things to tell them, and even though what you tell them, you believe in your heart of hearts. After forty years, I, that's kind of where I'm sure. struggling with how to comfort somebody and encourage somebody that's on that journey. Yeah, and I don't know really, that you have a answer either.
1: But yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think anybody does. I mean, it's always you know looking for you know what to say, and you know, and you know, after there's been a major tragedy, like no, nobody wants to hear your cliche you know that God needed them like yeah. what are you what are you talking about yeah. you know but it, it, at the end of the day i do think that th- there is a um you know of of knowing that you know God has has given us weapons and that we do have to continue to 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 run the play yeah. and and continue to pray and to contend you know and to believe that you know that he will do it and that he is doing it and um I mean I, I you know and, and, and whenever I, when I see people come into our program and they have parents that, that are that are praying and fighting for them, I mean it really is the ace in the hole.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean it really is. Didn't mean to put you on the spot
0: on that
1: one, No it? man. I mean that's I mean if we're gonna that's the thing. I mean if we're gonna I mean do, do this stuff, it, it's like whenever we're looking at at recovery you know and I, I just i remember talking with this guy It's a you know publicly traded i mean it's just w- one of the major you know treatment programs in on, on on the earth today and i and i remember him you know saying like is it is it real treatment or is it glorified 12th i'm like that's a pretty arrogant thing to say when it's an 80% failure rate you guys are churning out you know and and so like like why why are we not pushing back on 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 all of the canned answers of what you know what what it's supposed to look like and of just saying like God like we, we need real wisdom and and to, to be able to put in place because it, it I mean it matters and people's lives are on the line and and to, to rethink and and press against you know what whatever you know the, the the norms are and you know current practices and and figure out the best way to do it so we can reach more people so I, I'm I mean, I think we have to push on that. So how old were you when you finally, after your 10th treatment, like, do you remember? So I was 25. I stayed clean for five years. Um, And I I was in California. And, um, you know, I just... This is kind of like the ugly part of my story that, you know, I obviously don't, don't get into a whole lot. But I stayed clean for five years. And I mean, I was, I mean, mission trips, own staff at a church. I mean, there is no way that you could have made me believe that, that I could relapse. And um, I went back to my hometown, and I was doing ministry back there. And I got into a relationship, and I knew, like, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was not, like, I was not supposed to be doing that and I just gotten really, really prideful. Um, I buried myself in ministry because that's just what I knew how to do at that point. Um, and uh, and and eventually, this relationship went south, and I relapsed. And um, back on uh, meth or something else. Back on meth. Overdosed on K4. Delighted after about two weeks of of being into that relapse. And it was. And I got involved in the absolute. I mean, it made. It made my the, the stuff that I got involved in I mean it just kind of made you know my other years look like child's play and um, and I stayed out for two and a half years and um and then I went um, to uh, to a church up in Redding, California anyway and I made it back here to Atlanta about eight years ago and and um or nine years ago and then that's when you know i I just I had to do whatever it took to pull I, I knew that if i didn't Pull the e-brake and reset and position myself. And I talk about this. I went and buried myself in a little prayer room, and and um, I was living in my in my aunt's house, you know, at thirty something years old, in her daughter's pink bedroom with a sign above my bed that said "Kiss me goodnight." And every and everybody in my family was saying, "Go get!" I mean, they were like, "Why aren't you working at Chick Fil?" I mean, they just, I mean, I'm just sitting there thinking. And it was hard because it's you know, it's one thing if if you know, when, when your family is like, go get a job but I knew that if I did not take that season and 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 get everything that the Lord had for me, that it was gonna be a it was it was gonna be hard and you know, just by his grace I, I stayed in there. I'm active in my recovery and the fact that, you know, like, as, as far as, like, the way the Lord did it for me, and like, so you have to realize, like, I started in a meeting that I believe is still going today, and then, and and when God saved me, like, that, like, that's how I did it. Like, I did it in Celebrate Recovery, um, and I did it in church, and so now primarily what I'm doing is, is in church. I do ministry, and then I, I lead this thing called Recovery Church, um, and, and that was what was was most effective for me, but I still do a lot of, you know, I mean accountability and all the principles and stuff like that, but I'm not, I'm not doing like AA and NA, me, but I've got people on my staff that are, so I just want you to be clear, like I'm not like anti AA or NA or anything like that, because I think it's, I think it's awesome. Yeah.
0: Trey, got, since I'm closing this at 8.30, I'm going to have a last question for you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I,
1: Maury, go ahead. I to this, this, this is a very light question, okay. is the name Good Landing because of the Air Force? It's not. Oh. It, it re- you know, it is the most bizarre thing, because we were looking at all just kind of like the, the you know, um, another chance, you know, that kind of stuff, and my wife woke up from a nap, and she just felt like the Lord told her Good Landing. And she, I mean, that that is... It's, it's funny how things stick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she came down and and I was like getting ready to push back, and I, I just was like, I think that's it. Well, it goes well with the Air Force. Yeah, perhaps. it does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, whenever we were looking for, for logos in the beginning, and, um, and, and this guy I was working with, he drew, he drew this tandem parachute, you know, to, two people parachuting together, and the tagline was going to be good landing because you've been high too long. <laughs> 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 hey,
0: that's right. No. Last okay. And I'll come up and we'll close with that. I'll pray for you. God had delivered you in the Air Force and I think, appreciate you sharing that dark moment you just did. You went five years, you relapsed. What did the Lord show you as a result of that?
1: Um I think, you know, there there there's a lot to that, but but primarily pride mm-hmm. and just even being in um you know, really strong spirit, you know, running with strong spiritual people, um, being used by the Lord, that humility really is an act of the will. And and I and I just gotten to this place where I, I was no longer teachable mm-hmm. and I, I only wanted to receive from, you know, just just certain people. And I just kind of look back on that and, and just think that, I mean, every bit of that was avoidable if I would have just humbled myself you know and i think one of the biggest things is, is it says that you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of god in due time he will exalt and we go back to those failure rates and what i think is we just roll reverse i mean you see it all the time whether you see it with somebody with 2 weeks clean or you see somebody with 20 years clean or you see somebody that doesn't even have an addiction problem is is that what we like to do is is we like to exalt ourselves and we like to tell the ceo the 100% owner of the whole world aka god to humble himself under our plans and drive them forward, mm-hmm. and I think whenever you know anybody gets in that place, but it's specifically me during that time, is where you know I just I roll reversed, and 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 at that point, you know when so when selfishness is, is is the same thing that drives addiction was driving my life that it was inevitable that a disaster was was in the future, and I didn't, and that's that's what happened. Got it. Well,
0: thank you very much, buddy. For-